Welcome to the Gifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Online Program, which teaches you how to turn your story into a successful speaking and online coaching business. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Darren Aitchison. He's the founder and CEO of Restorative Justice Alliance International. Darren, welcome to our show. Thank you, Christopher. I'm honored to be on your show. So I'm very intrigued. What does restorative justice mean? Well, restorative justice is a, is a neuroscience. It only emerged late in the, early, in the early 90s. So it hasn't been around very long. But we, we, we focus on solving problems and repairing relationships as opposed to just giving somebody a punishment arbitrarily. So if two kids are struggling, we get to the heart of the matter instead of just kicking them out of school for a couple of days. Okay, so let's say I was punished for talking too much in class as a six-year-old first grader. If we apply your restorative justice, how would they, how should have they work with me? Because frankly, they just told me, stay after class. You're going to write on the board 100 times, 200 times, 300 times. And I hated that. I hated the discipline. I hated the authority. And now 40 plus years later, I still have authority issues. <laughs> right. So, so what do you do differently? Well, first of all, we, we train the teacher to be proactive. So first of all, we told her not to make a big deal out of you talking because a teacher can still talk while you're talking. It's, we teach the teacher, is that, is that level of disruption really what you think it is? Because oftentimes it's not. Then we help the teacher apply the principles of, of neuroscience and behavioral science to, to bring you to a better place. So there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole strata of, of things that the teacher do, which is beyond the scope of our talk today. But the harder we do is, is, is a mediation. We, we sit you down with the teacher, you do your side of the story, she gives her side of the story, and you come up with a mutual agreement to move forward. So instead of kicking you out of class and having you write on the board 100,000 times, the, which does not resolve the issue. The issue gets resolved when we do mediations with two, two people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it's fascinating. Even though this is completely outside the context of education, but I remember during the Rwandan genocide, 25 plus, 27 years ago now, I think in 1994, and they talked about this mediation where you had both parts, both tribes come together, even though some of them have literally killed each other, but that's how they were able to resolve some of these things. So I'm curious, what is your, your personal story of, of being involved with this work? Well, I was a teacher for, for a couple of years and, and I, I was tasked with teaching kids with emotional trauma. We call it behavior disorder or emotional disorder. And I hadn't, and then I eventually became a behavior analyst as well. And I realized that we didn't have an answer for these kids. Wait, what kind of analyst did you become? A behavior analyst, board certified oh. behavior analyst. Interesting. So we've done, a, we've done a great job with kids with autism, but with kids that are neurotypical, have a typically developing brain, we don't have a lot of answers for them yet. So I went on this journey because I saw these kids weren't learning. I was kicking them out of class, kicking them out of school eventually, and, and, they, weren't, and they weren't going anywhere. So I learned later on that they would go to the criminal justice system when they, when they leave the schools. We call that the school, the prison pipeline, Christopher. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So, so I, I went on this journey. I talked to experts from various disciplines, and I came to restorative justice and acceptance and commitment therapy. And I'm helping teachers do what, what I couldn't do, which is help them teach these kids. No, that's great. I remember I used to teach a, an average teens independent charter school, and we got all the kids that they kicked out, literally, the bozo right. potentially threatened to kill someone or bomb the school. And they were just good kids that happened to have really unfortunate childhoods, and they were just lashing out. But they were still great human beings. But unfortunately, they have this no tolerance rule. So as soon as you do one thing in school, now they kick them out. And so where do they go? And in your case, it sounds like you're providing a solution. So talk to us about how long you've been in this journey. Have you worked with a few dozen, few hundreds, few thousands of, of, of students? Well, it's been about a 10 year journey to, to get to the end of where right now. We're in a couple of schools, 
across the world. So we're, we're, we're in, the, in the UK and a couple of schools here in, in the States. So we're expanding. But we're, we're doing it with the zero tolerance rules and, and the laws are, are coming around coming around to us on that. There are several bills in, in Congress now that would, that would completely outlaw those, those practices altogether. That's great. And let's talk about this because let's give some specific examples of how you've worked with some schools or students. You don't have to even name the schools, but give us some specific case studies that are listening to really be inspired by some of the work you've done. Well, we have a study that's come out here in just a, just a couple of weeks. <clears throat> it's just passed a peer review, so it's about to be published. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where we took three different schools and we applied we applied this model, and we we reduced we took schools that were excessively violent, and we targeted the the most violent offender in the school, the kid who had the most discipline referrals, with a one-on-one -on -one intervention with acceptance and commitment therapy, and the rest of the school got what we call the good behavior game, which is a, just a good good classroom management, and we were able to, to reduce the violence by seventy percent in a three-month period. For each of those three schools, did you say acceptance commitment therapy? Acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT for short. Can, can you say? I'm sorry. Can you say the more acceptance? Acceptance and commitment therapy. Acceptance and commitment therapy. What does that mean? That we teach. We teach a skill called psychological flexibility, which is a fancy way for saying how to manage your thoughts. So instead of teaching people that you have your good thoughts and your bad thoughts, focus on the good thoughts and not the bad thoughts. We teach them that thoughts are just thoughts. So they acknowledge the thought. We practice perspective taking. We practice mindfulness. And there are other different facets of, of being psychologically flexible. But it's being flexible in your thinking, and multiple perspective taking. So it's learning how to manage your thoughts. That's great, Darren. Given those three case studies, was this was this in high school? Was this elementary school, junior high school, college? These were middle schools. Wow. And did you specifically choose middle schools, or you work with different students from different uh, age groups? Well, when we do applied research, we kind of sometimes have to take what we can get. So I had three middle schools that volunteered. So that's how we've been there. We've done a lot of work with, with really young kids too, because the, the earlier we can get to them, the, the more we can help them. No, that's great. And it, and it really is. I, I've, I've taught kids from five to like 85, or they're not kids when they're 85, but the, the age of when they're junior high school, it's really that turning point where right. they can just do a lot of good and a lot of bad. And it's that, that anchoring and that, that pivot point. So I'm curious, you, you talked about you work with other people as well. So do you, do you, do you work with corporations and businesses as well? Or, you, or, or tell us if you think that it'll apply in that context as well. It does. And I have some colleagues that are working in that area. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to expand into that area here in the next couple of months. But right now, I'm currently working with, with children in schools only. Great. What do you feel is the most gratifying work? Because I, since I have taught in a school system before, it's always easy for the parents to blame the teachers and the teachers to blame the parents and everyone's blaming everyone else. But for you, that you see it in the trenches, in the ground, what, what are some things that we can all do, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, what can we do based on your understanding of science and behavior that we can help our students and we can help our parents, we can help our teachers? Well, first of all, we have to be honest with ourselves. And as a country, we, we failed about four, four or five generations of, of black and brown kids. So, and... That's, that's what I mean by the school to prison pipeline. Without, without, we have to change. We have to change the narrative. So right now, the number one factor that that describes the influence of when you get in trouble is your skin color. Your second is your zip code. So we have to, we have to, we have to own that and acknowledge that as a country and, and move on. We have to stop using these practices, detention, suspension, expulsion, that are that are harmful to children and they only send to the criminal justice system. And we have to start using things that work. Yeah, and I like how powerful 
systematic and realistic your approach is, Darren, because it's easy for anyone to say, oh, once they have an offense, let's say in California, they get the three strike rule and they lock them up. But what's the point? They, most of them are locked up and then they come back out and there's a high, I think it's called recidivation rate or what, what does that right. mean? Yeah. yeah, that's right. So there's, the recidivism rate for storage justice programs is, is, much, is much lower than it is. Yeah. My mentor, Dr. Ron Klaus, did a study out in California. And some of the, like 70% of the people in the typical criminal justice system went back to prison, but in the restorative justice system, it's something like, like 10%. Yeah. No, I love this. So I hope the listeners that are listening to you, we have listeners from 92 countries. I hope they reach out to you and learn more from you because you're the solution of the problem, meaning it's so easy to politicize any of the stuff we're talking about, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. It's about these kids. They happen to be black and brown. And how can we build the whole school system back up and system back up because there are really specific problems. And I love how you apply science to it. When you start, when you first started your journey there, and I'm always curious, what are some of the things that you found just super fascinating as you dove into the actual research and the science as opposed to what you might have thought? Like, for instance, for me, I assumed all homeless people were, were ignorant and, and, and I was being stereotypical. But then when I started meeting them, I was like, wow, this is the reason why there's these systematic foundational challenges that a 45-year-old woman that I tried to help, she didn't even know how to write one sentence completely. And I wonder how she can help her 15-year-old daughter when she doesn't have education. So that was a profound awareness for me, for you. Were there any similar wow moments where you're like, wow, I didn't realize it was like that? Yeah, well, I tell people that neuroscience is the great equalizer. And I'll tell you, one of my colleagues, who's a, who's a medical doctor, I'll, I'll steal his analogy for a moment. He said that as vast as outer space is, what, what little we understand about outer space is comparable to the human brain. So that we're learning from the human brain, is, there's just as much knowledge to learn as there is from outer space. And we're learning more and more about the brain, how powerful it is, more, how, how powerful it can heal itself and repair itself. So these children who go through trauma, they literally creates holes in their brain. And, and with proper therapy and sometimes even without medication, the, the brain can grow back and repair itself. I love that. I love like the neuroplasticity of, of our brains and the more research right. we do, you can have more Oprah Winfrey stories. If, if people ever want to look at someone like a success story, everyone knows Oprah. I don't know if they've read right. her backstory in that she was born so poor that at three, she couldn't even afford a dress. It was made of a potato sack. I mean, she was abused sexually from nine to 13. And then she had a, a kid that died in infancy. But what I'm saying is, Darren, I, I appreciate you being on the show today and leading the way with science systems and a, a gung-ho spirit. How can our guests connect with you, stay in touch with you and work with you? Well, they can go to restorativejusticealliance.org. That's my website. They get more information there. You can set up a time to speak with me privately or, or they can send me an email, which is also on that webpage. Great. Darren, thank you so much for being on our show. Have a great day. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for listening to the Gifters Podcast. If you want to learn how to turn your story into a successful speaking and online coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com to learn more.